0: From a wide range of embroidery classes to talks and special events, the Royal School of Needlework's International Summer School offers so much. Immerse yourself in the world of the RSN with its world-renowned tuition and treat yourself to this Festival of Stitch in July and August 2024. The Royal School of Needlework is offering four ways to get involved this year you can join the International Summer School on-site at Hampton Court Palace and at the Royal School of Needlework Durham in the UK, as well as Lexington, Kentucky in the United States of America. There are also online classes available live so students can join in anywhere from around the world. There's a wonderful variety of techniques to explore for those who are starting out on their hand embroidery journey all the way through to advanced stitches. So whether you want to follow a kit-based design explore your own creativity using your own materials in a more contemporary way, or focus on developing your personal design skills, there will be a class that appeals to you. The Royal School of Needlework International Summer School classes will provide experienced stitchers with an opportunity to engage in a longer or more advanced project, while allowing those newer to the world of hand embroidery to try a shorter course to build and develop their skills. The full list of classes and more information about the Royal School of Needlework International Summer School is available at royal-needlework.org.uk with special offers for booking multiple classes and an early bird booking price available until the 29th of February 2024. Whether you're planning on attending in person, online or a combination of the two, this is a fantastic opportunity to improve your stitching skills from one of the best schools in the world. Mania Goldman is an embroidery artist who I'd only recently discovered when she entered the Mr. X Stitch Contemporary Needlework Prize. But I was so pleased when she won first prize in the hand embroidery section. Her portraiture, her ability to capture moments in time through the simple craft of needlepoint is sublime. Her work is big, it is intentional, it captures these moments that are really quite special and intimate. And her use of colour, her use of diffusion, her use of pixelation to add depth and texture and warmth. When you see her work, it's like looking at retro photos of moments you wish you'd been at. There's a joy to the work. There's an innate emotion to the work. And when you understand how long these pieces have taken, you can't help but fall in love with them. Hi everybody it's Jamie it's Mr X Stitch here I'm gonna change the way I do the podcast a little bit because I've started out doing needle exchange I'm absolutely enjoying it but I do admit that the first set of intros I've been doing for these pieces have been very much using my art voice hello this is my art voice and as many of you know I'm not 100% that art guy I'm very much trying to keep things real when it comes to the phenomenal world Of needlework and textile artists. So, I thought I would bring myself back a little bit and engage with you guys a little bit more when I'm talking about the show. I am absolutely loving doing the podcast. I've had some fantastic conversations with artists who I admire. I've got plenty more in the pipeline. I'd love to know what you think about it, though. I would love to know how much you're enjoying the show. What you think about the artists that we've had on? You can email me. It's hello at needle dot exchange, but needle is spelt without an e. It seemed like a good idea because I could get the exchange domain name, and I thought as being more all fancy. But now I realise I'm going to spend the rest of my time spelling needle, n w d l dot exchange. But hello at needle exchange, if you've got any comments, I'd love to hear from you. I don't feel like I'm shouting into the void. I do hear from some of you sometimes. Uh, But I would love to know what you think of the show. I'm also making a slight pivot with the show as well, where, you know, at first it was a long form interview that would go on for an hour. But I noticed that for a lot of people, that wasn't quite a sustainable length of time. So I decided to split them into weekly, you know, half hour, 40 minute length episodes. And hopefully you're enjoying those a bit more. I'm also now going to start adding an element with the interviews where I ask the people, as well as asking them about their creative practice, their you know how they build their business, what their inspirations are, what kind of music they listen to. I'm also going to ask them whether there are any hurdles that get in their way, any naturally occurring things, because I've spoken to so many people over time and I've always ended up having conversations where we talk about marketing or we talk about you know how to find that next artistic step. The thing with me is I've I'm no artist. Anybody who's ever seen me work. Now, I'm no artist but I've I've spoken to so many people and I've been around for like 15 years in this space. So I feel comfortable helping other people get through this, get past their pinch points, whether it's deciding what the right kind of platform to focus on in terms of social promotion is or, you know, how you get the next idea out of your head, you know, how to focus on work, those sorts of things, you know. Most of the time when I've chatted to someone with a needle exchange, when we finish recording, We carry on talking for a while and we always end up going over one of those touch points. So what I'm hoping to do is bring that more into the mix and then I'll also be able to reflect more on some of these common themes that arise. If you're a creative person and you want to come on Needle Exchange, then do check out the Needle Exchange website. I think there's a guest form on there. Again, email hello at needle.exchange, no E, uh, and I'm glad, you know, I'd love to get you lined up. I have a, a system where you can pick a slot that suits you and we can have a good old chat. But equally, if you're an artist, if you're a creative person, if you're a needleworker, worker, if you want my help in helping you, you know, I can act as a sounding board for you. I can help you overcome whatever the immediate challenges are. I can help you see the wood for the trees. You can find the creative mentorship package on the X-Stitch magazine website. If you search at the top in the search bar for creative mentorship, you can find it there. I'm running a pilot scheme, so it's a bargain price and you'll get to speak with me over three consecutive months. And we'll discover where your pinch points are. We'll look at practical solutions to overcome those. And I'll hold your hand for three months and we'll see if we can get through it. It's something I would love to do. I love, I love talking with people about this stuff. I love you know I hope that comes across I hope you can hear how much I love talking about this stuff I hope you're enjoying it as well so if you'd like to chat with me on the podcast come get some if you would like me to help you negotiate your creative path it would be my pleasure be my pleasure so I'll put a link in the show notes to where you can find out about the mentorship but that'd be fantastic anyway enough of my jibber jabber i hope you're happy to hear from me i'm gonna do this. this feels so nice it feels so nice just to be talking to you because i'm in your ears and i love you and i'm grateful that you're here and i don't have to talk like this anymore so thank you enjoy the show mania's great i'll be back next week with the second half of mania and with more news and stuff like that so thanks for being a part of it i'll speak to you soon enjoy the show congratulations on being the first place winner in the mr x stitch prize hand embroidery that was a right treat a bit of a surprise yeah yeah this is gonna sound wrong it was a surprise to me because i'd never seen your work before and i absolutely loved it and pretty much all the judges loved it because this obviously there were five people judging it and you were quite a clear winner and it was just great because it was sometimes i think i've seen like most of the cross stitch and most of the needlepoint because that's kind of my wheelhouse so then it was lovely I had like there were at least three or four different artists using that medium who I'd never come across before and your work was just stellar please tell me all about it
1: (laughs) I'm really interested in what the response was about if you like people will say that they like it but I'm really interested in what it is about about the work that they like but
0: no, no, no. I'll t- I I mean, I can tell you what I like about it. Yeah. So for me, a lot of the time with cross stitch people, and is it cross stitch that you do or is it needlepoint? Are we talking X stitches or single stitches or?
1: It's single stitches.
0: What would you call it? Mean, I guess it is needlepoint, isn't it? Like 10 stitch, that kind of thing. I mean, so obviously there's always this intrinsic safety and security that you get with that medium because people have got this familiarity with it, cross stitch samplers and all that kind of thing and the homeliness. And people also, I think, understand how long a piece of work takes. So I think that always provides, it makes Needlework a really good tool for contemplating certain topics. There's an artist called Tanya Bukal, and she's done a series of pieces that look at like the refugee crisis. She's done portraits of migrants, and she's done pictures of refugee detention centers. And you see the images, and they're images that normally would flash by us in the news. You know, we've got You know, whenever you see pictures of refugees, don't you, we're kind of numb to it because we just see these faces that don't have any narrative, that we don't connect with them as human beings. But because people see the work and it's done in needlepoint, they can recognize it must have taken a long time and that makes them reconsider it and think about it again and therefore take more time to connect with the subject matter. And I think that's one of the strengths of needlework like this. And to me, that's the strengths of your work.
1: Oh, that that really reaches me. That's so essential to the work. You know, it's really important to me that it's slow. People will say to me, God, you know, that takes you so long. And as if there's a race and you've got to be getting to the end and to try and explain to people that, you know, up until the very last, I don't want it to end. This is something which is allowing me to contemplate and mull over things and think about whatever it is that's the idea that I'm doing. And I really hope those viewing it are doing the same. And so that's lovely what you've just said. It is so much about stopping and feeling things properly and really thinking about them. And I hope that people you know, really take it to heart and feel the emotion that I'm feeling. Because when I make pieces, what I think I mentioned in the statement about, it's a kind of haunting that I am bringing people into mind, into being. There is something so essential about stitch. It's primal. Mm. It's so essential. And with a painting, something sort of sliding on the surface, but this is a thing you know and so i watch very slowly in a person who i've known come into being and that you know it's like a ghost i mean i i get a sense of them it's important that i say i mean it is often referring to people that i've known but it is about ideas beyond it and so that's why i'm hoping that people when they're viewing the work They think about their relationship with their mother. They think about their lost places, as I'm doing. And I think it is the slowness of it that allows us to connect. And so that's really great that that obviously happened. Yeah,
0: because I think the thing is, is, you know, we, we have this real throwaway culture, don't we? We have this thing where we just... Sound bites and you know, TikTok videos, whatever you know, nobody the slowness of stuff seems to be lost on us. And then I think that because when people understand, because even some of the other art forms like painting and stuff are a little bit aloof, people don't necessarily grasp easily the production process, but with needlework, they really do. And so, the minute that someone has taken the time to make something in stitch, whether it's a present for a loved one, whether it's something snarky, or whether it's art like yours, people intrinsically understand it has got to have some value, because otherwise, why would you have done it? Why would you have spent so long making something, you know, it's very rare. Sometimes you get don't you like Tracy Emin would do pieces of work that have errors built into them as part of the process to make it seem kind of nonchalant and kind of haphazard. But I think there's a real deliberacy with needlework. And I think that's what helps, you know, it's like a repeat effect, you know, people see your work, they see a picture, then they get a whammy because it's needlework. And then they get a whammy because they suddenly realize how long it's taken. And then they get a whammy because they think about the content and therefore you've spent that time on it. And it it just keeps on coming.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the things we're talking about mistakes, with Tracy Hammond. I actually, I decided to do something quite unusual with the way I lead up to the work because, you know, when I was painting, i do lots of preparatory work and I would experiment. There would be lots of different pieces going on at the same time. Then I realised that what happened, if you have, if you make work, well, for me, if I made a sort of staged work with stitch, it becomes incredibly uptight. The life of it goes out of it because all I'm doing is it's like, paint by numbers isn't it but actually what I want is mistakes now as you know mistakes in needlepoint are really I mean once you've done it wrong <laughs> to try and repair mm-hmm. it is yeah it's a nightmare and you know I often find that around faces that you know I'd make mistakes and then I have to repair it but I deliberately have made that happen so I'm working it out in it and when I think about when I taught students, I would never have said that I was a good thing to do. But I want the mistakes. I want to get a sense of sometimes stumbling and refinding it. I get a sense that there's more value when you see, like, a person who's, you know, lived a proper life. I sort of feel like, you know, the work rings truer with the mistakes in it.
0: Do you think because... I'm not trying to do something perfect. No, and I think that's the problem, isn't it? Sometimes, I don't know if this is going to make sense, but sometimes you go around shopping centres and you go around airports and we just get this shiny version of the world and it just feels kind of unreal. And I think the beauty is in the mistakes. The beauty is in the flaws.
1: Exactly. I mean, it's it's sort of like what I'm interested in is the sort of in-betweens of things. Not to look directly at something, but sort of be crab-like and sort of come at them. And so... It's Obviously, I'm doing that really, really slowly. And, I mean, when I think about now, I have, I feel more confident than I did when I was, was beginning them. And it's taken years for me to work out how to do this because I didn't know how to do it before when I began. I just kind of bodged along, you know, just started doing it. And so I still have a sense when I'm doing it, I don't know if it's going to work. There's a lot of not knowing. Mm. And... Th- That's some, I mean, people have said to me, I should show those in-between bits where you really don't know if the thing's going to work because I kind of make, because of the way I work does refer in terms of colour to painting. So every thread I use would never be one colour. I will always use like three or four different colours as I stitch. When I talk painting, I, you know, always instill in my students you should never use paint out, out of a tube. And I th- feel that about, you know, my work, that I don't want to use colour that, that's ever just one. I can think of one where I I did it to sort of dull the, the colour, to make it not sing. Most of the time, they are, I mean, 99% of the time, it's mixes of of colours, and they're sort of dotting around so that maybe one of the colours say it's a pink I want to kind of wash the pink through that pink will go through all the colors so I don't know until I've sort of I don't know how to describe it there are these little it's pixelated isn't it with needlepoint and they begin to come together and at a certain point it's all it's all there it's together it's worked but I don't know for a long time if it will that's it because I have to get the depth, I have to get the light.
0: So for instance, if we talk about sliding, which I can see behind you now, obviously there's a lot of the background colour. And when I was looking in detail at the the pictures, you know, every single pixel is a slight variation. So is that because you're using like three or four concurrent colours and it's just how they come out that's determining that kind of variety? Or is it more deliberate No, like I'm that? doing
1: it, it's deliberate. So I will sew every few squares. I mean, they're tiny. I use the the, the smallest gauge. So as what's it that, well. like
0: 32 count or?
1: I think, I don't even know. Maybe it's 28. I don't know. That's, I'd like to know if there's 32 because I'd like it even smaller if I could. But anyway, that's, I think it's 28. And I will do, I'm leaving empty spaces. I really should have had a half finished one to show you. And each one of those, yeah, and then I'm using another one. I'm mixing them in until they begin to fill up. Is
0: it? I think in pixel art sometimes they call it dithering, don't they? Where you use different colors and then you bring them together, and that creates a tonal shift.
1: Exactly. I didn't know dithering's a good there term. Go. Like yeah, that.
0: Yeah, we can dither all day. In a way, I wouldn't want to see your work in the in-between phase, as fascinating as it is, because there's such a beauty in the finished pieces. If no one's seen your work before which in fairness is quite possible, because as an extraordinary needlepoint, you really have only started showing your work, what, two, three years ago. How can you describe your work and, you know, what you're doing with it?
1: I mean, I see them as kind of evocations of people and places that I've lost. They're like memory hauntings that refer to the particular, but as I say, I think they maybe connect with the because everyone's had people and places that they've they've lost. And they do, I know, appear to be just representational pieces of work that refer to paintings. I've had fun watching at the Royal Academy shows, watching people walk from one side of the gallery to, you know, they just they're walking nearer and nearer, going, I thought that was a painting. And so They play with that, and they very deliberately play with it because I I have a story about that. But So if we're just talking about the way they look, they look like paintings. They very much work within the frame. I'm very deliberately composing them. You know, sometimes I leave very blank spaces, for instance, the sliding behind. That is called sliding because it's to evoke that sense that you have as a child on a lap. Sliding down because of the amount of kind of oxytocin and that relaxing that feeling, uh, just as it is as a parent where you find yourself going to sleep because your child is just so relaxed on you, that's sliding. So they often have, as I say, they appear to be in space. I like the idea that they have a depth to them. they don't work. I mean, a lot of need to point is very much about the surface. I like the idea the works have air that you have a sense that you could almost sort of put your hand into them, and you you know there's some well, there's several that are in I was the place I lost was South Africa, and so and I want there to be a sense of heat, for instance, in some of them, so you get a sense of that kind of place. So they do work in a three-dimensional space in a way that maybe other need a point or sort of similar stitching don't do. Is that... A-
0: no, that's good. That's good. Do you use specific photo references?
1: So that's important. I mean, for a long... When I was sort of beginning it, fiddling around, I was trying to find my way, I was using anything. And then I was more and more getting drawn to... Old family photographs, and actually, very in particular, my father's photographs, because you know, at three or four, I was not picking up a camera, you know. So, they're amazing moments where I've realized it's my father taking a photograph of my nanny who I lost. So, he must have been thinking, I need to give her this, mm-hmm. but I have no memory of him saying that. But I, so it's as much about. You know, what was my father looking at then? Well, that's really interesting. What was he caring about? And because, I mean, there's that phrase, the male gaze, I'm really interested in the fact that the stitching is so female and I'm using these photographs from, you know, my the first man in my life, you know, but it, it's very important to me that stitching. It's like I'm allowed to be whoever I want. When I was trying to paint and do work that was within a whole kind of, I don't. I felt the weight of things. I felt it lift when I started stitching. So that's, so I use the photographs, but to be practical, I will take them and play with them and I'll take photocopies. I might even collage. I might use something from somewhere else and introduce it. I sort of muck them up a bit. I want to get something which is my own intervention. And then I work from it. So it's sitting there always. And I'm referring to it. That, you know, maybe they might be at the moment I've got sort of two images and I'm sort of working from those.
0: So whenever in the rare occasion I get to do some cross-stitch, I use cross-stitch software to make my patterns and it makes life very easy. So obviously you can convert images and you can get the the pattern to follow. I'm also thinking of the artist Case Zavaye, and I'm sure I've butchered her name because I do that every time, who does these portraits where she looks at a photo. Yeah. And she eyeballs that. And I know for a fact that, you know, she has big piles of thread and she picks the colours as she goes. How does it work for you then? Do you create a pattern or do you busk it?
1: No, no. What I'll do is I'll draw. I do an initial sort of drawing onto the, you know, with pencil, just get, that guides me and then from there on, it it's just like, yeah, I'm making it up as I go along. I love her mm. work. Yeah,
0: definitely one that blew me away the first time I saw it, which is quite a long time ago now. And that's why that's how I felt about your work. In fairness, because I think one of the things that's that I love about your work is that the pieces I've seen, the, you immediately get an emotional resonance from them. You know, there's wanting when everyone's just out in the garden and you're having a meal together. You get that kind of nostalgia that it's quite hard for people, certainly younger than me, to grasp where photos were made on film. So you weren't like, I'll do 100 photos on my phone or whatever. You know, these moments were captured for a reason. And sometimes they weren't captured as prettily and as Insta-ready as they could have been. But there's the beauty in there. And I think that your pieces are very much representations of those so you instantly get the sort of nostalgia and you get this emotional connection i recently when i was like researching you i came across the streamers pieces which are in the royal academy show and there there's a sort of poignant like there's a real poignancy and a real joyfulness at the same time in those pieces it's quite i wonder whether you can talk about those in particular
1: yeah they're about very particular moment which is when I have no idea if they still do it, but when large ships left port, you know, there, people would send streamers out from the boat. They would, it was a sort of parting celebration. And I actually Deborah Levy in one of her books describes exactly the same moment that I I would so love her to see my work because you know, she writes exactly what I experienced. And I can remember that moment. And it was complete chaos. It was insane. You know, it was like, what have the grown ups done? You know, this is mad. And I'm leaving and they're all shouting. It's noisy. The horns are going and uh, they're all these streamers coming off. And when I was looking at these photographs, I was thinking, gosh, they're like umbilical cords. They're like, Mm. you know, they're connected to the motherland. And, you know, they're somewhere. We're holding them, you know, and it's so the ones in the Royal Academy were like two sides. So one was looking down on these people who we were leaving. And the other one was, imagine if we hadn't left, imagine if we were holding onto, you know, the mother. And so, yeah, it had a lot of emotion in it because it, it's about loss, mm.
0: Yeah. And I think that's the thing. I think that you really, you kind of feel it. There's sort of this amazement, there's the celebration, but the celebration is somewhat masking. It's almost like a bit of a subterfuge, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. I can tell you, I mean, I haven't actually done it yet. Oh, no, no, there is one where I've, when you cross the equator, everyone goes mad. I mean, as I thought at you know five, that everyone went. The grown-ups they just start jumping in, you know, swimming pool and everyone dresses up. And so there, there is a one piece of work where it's the sort of my sister and I have dressed up in Alice in Wonderland costumes. And that is what it felt like. Right. It felt like we had fallen down a hole. I love it. So
0: I believe that you studied art and textiles, West Surrey College and at the Royal College of Art. And then you became a lecturer on art at Winchester.
1: I always think it's important. Like, yeah, I went to Campbell and I learned. I, I really learned to draw there. That's where I did my foundation. I think it's important. Well, it's important for something else as well. But so I always was. I was sort of torn. I really love drawing and painting, but I really love. I like doing things with my hands. You know, I've knitted since I was very young. My grandmother taught me to knit. You know, people I think think I. They watch me sort of stitching all day and then knitting to relax. (laughs) You know,
0: as if you hadn't had enough textiles.
1: Yeah, exactly. I love knitting because you, you close your eyes and you just your hands are doing it. You know, I think there's something really soothing for me that about that. Yeah. So I yes, I did do textiles and I found it too limiting. I was so rubbish at doing anything commercial. I couldn't. You know, trying to be a print designer just completely I wasn't good at it what I could do was I worked for Zaha Hadid the architect who does she did extraordinary paintings so that kind of thing I could do you know I could go and paint for her and so I sort of slid out of doing textiles because I couldn't find a way of connecting with it because I sort of wanted ideas my own ideas I've always yeah felt I even find commissions hard. I need to follow my own thoughts. And so I did that for a long time. And I taught. And I I taught in lots of different art schools, but I ended up being a senior lecturer on foundation at what was then called Winchester School of Art. It was a great course. And I really enjoyed that stage with students where you're sort of really getting them to think about how you make work, not just you know, getting them to follow the canon of whatever, you know, what graphics should be, what painting should be. But thinking right across the board, really open. I loved being with students in that way. And so I, I sort of discovered that really, I enjoyed the connection with the students and talking with them. And I trained as a psychotherapist. So at one point, I was you know, an artist, a teacher, and a student. Actually, I thought I was the best. I probably taught, well, the students will <laughs> tell me otherwise, but I thought I taught my best when I was a student. I understood about being vulnerable and then I was teaching. Anyway, so I practiced I stopped working at Winchester and I practiced as a as a psychotherapist. But you know, I have to make work. That's not enough for me. And then I became a mother. And my mothering could not work with being a psychotherapist, but it could work with being creative as long as I could do little bits. At, you know, it's hard, isn't it, to fit in to the to have long thoughts with children is a bit hard. So I gradually I had this thought. You know, when you have ideas and they sort of, you keep getting them and I would get this, that slight hyperventilating and I think about this idea of maybe doing needlepoint. And I was sort of shocking myself with this thought as I, and and then I tried it and, you know, just gradually found my way through it.
0: Did you have to kind of do it as a bit of a hobby first or did you immediately plunge into the kind of path that you've taken?
1: No, I, I started off doing sort of patterns, just making up. Just enjoying... Well, actually, I started using the yarn that I'd... Some of it I'd dyed at the Royal College of Art. So they were weaving yarns, so they're very fine and beautiful silk. And, I, you know, that's not irrelevant. You know, I love the fact that I was sort of pulling, literally, pulling threads together of all these bits, you know, because I felt like I've always been all over the place. And so I was pulling myself together. I do. I think I've sort of sewn myself together a bit.
0: So when I discovered that you'd done the psychotherapy, I put in big red letters. I was like, let's talk about stitching as a therapeutic tool. And even it's just interesting to hear what you've said about your own journey. And I've not done counselling. I did psychology and a bit of counselling at uni as part of my degree. I did like socio-social studies. So it's like man and society blended. But it's interesting when you talk about you started off just doing random patterns, presumably in the way that when someone begins a course of therapy, it's very kind of random surface level trying to feel out the possibilities of how that relationship can evolve. And then you start to grow down more meaningful paths as you move forward. And it feels like maybe your creative journey is a sort of echo of that.
1: Well, I, I certainly think it's therapeutic doing the work. I mean, I I put my hands up to that. I, you know, I think... I think there is something profound about using your hands, even the knitting, you know, that is... We were talking at the beginning about being contemplative and and taking time, and I think there's something really valuable in just sitting, knitting, I don't know, listening to Radio 4, sitting in your garden, listening to, you know, the outside world, or maybe nothing at all, and just just being... I need that. I don't know if, I mean, not everybody does, but I need to have times when I am quiet and and I can just sort of hear myself think. And there's that level. There's a, this sort of physical somatic level, which is soothed by a repetitive movement. I mean, I it's part of my thoughts about the work too, because if you, I mean, I, always been interested in the work that sort of outsider art, where, you know, forgetting their names now, but, you know, sort of artists who are banged up in asylums because they were women who'd spoken to loudly or whatever. I really, I mean, those sort of jackets which have stitched words or over them, all those sort of, you know, those works which are about people keeping hold of or trying to find their sanity. You know, I can relate to that. I think there is something happening to me when I'm doing it. And then hopefully that sort of unravels the viewer looking at it. So, yes, I I definitely think that it's been my therapy. I mean, yeah.
0: did your perspective as a psychotherapist, like can you intellectualize it as an abstract? You know, like, like for instance, so I have this thesis, I like to call it, But when you meditate, if your mind wanders, you're supposed to come back to center. And I find that with cross stitch, needlepoint, those sorts of things, because about three times a second, you're sort of having to look back at what you're doing it is arguably one of the most mindful things because you have to be in that present moment. And so I think that's a very like powerful tool for rehab for pastimes. And I know that, you know, there are ways that you can use it. If people have low self esteem, you can frame you know, finishing a row of stitching as being a success. There's lots of ways that you can mechanically employ it as a therapeutic tool. And I just wondered if you had any further thoughts on that kind of idea.
1: Only to agree. I mean, that absolutely. There's this sense that, like I was describing before, that I don't always know it's going to work. So there's something, it's like a skill, you know, that I'm allowing myself to live in this uncertainty and then I might take that out into other things that are happening in my life. And I can tell you, I have had many things to pressurize me to, you know, but anyway, the, the point is that that you live in a, a state of uncertainty when you're making the work that I think it makes muscles so that you can allow yourself to live in that way in stressful situations elsewhere that's
0: interesting it's like when you do there's certain types of exercises that you can do you know weightlifting or whatever where you're within a certain confine and then there are other types of exercises maybe like pilates and stuff where you use all these micro muscles because of the nature of what you're doing so maybe it's akin to that
1: yes i'd say absolutely it's like that and i yeah so there's a sort of bravery a kind of courage you know if i did one tiny stitch after another
0: I had a chat with Kaz Holmes in a previous needle exchange, and she works with found objects. And she often sits in this point of uncertainty where she simply doesn't know where the art's going to come from. And she's taught those kind of techniques to people as well. And then it turns out that you know life throws you a curveball, and you've built your resiliency muscles. You've built your capability to withstand those things because uncertainty isn't as fearful as it might be for someone who hasn't been there.
1: Yeah, it's part of that and I think just the mindfulness thing that if you know what it's like I suppose that you know that it's something to do with the way you breathe it almost as you stitch you know that this that your body is calming and and so you have a memory of that when you're in this other situation that might be tricky to you know keep yourself grounded and and calm so I really I'm I think it's it's almost like essential to my mental health to do it that's why you know i'd call it therapeutic i miss it if i don't do i i need to do some every day yeah so it's obviously doing something Yeah, i kind
0: of think if everybody you do i think if everybody in the world crossed it we'd all be treating each other a lot nicer wouldn't we
1: we would wouldn't we we'd be patient
0: yeah that's true that's true There you have it, folks. I told you Manu was an interesting person to talk to, and you can tune in next week for the second part of our interview. Thanks for being part of the show. I hope you enjoyed it. Feel free to get in touch. Hello at Needle no e, dot exchange. And if you'd like me to help you as part of your creative adventure, go find that creative mentorship package on the X Stitch magazine website. And let's do something. See you next week. Thanks for joining me on another needle exchange i hope you enjoyed the show i'd love to hear from you so feel free to email hello at needle.exchange that's n w d l dot exchange with any thoughts comments or feedback and if you want to keep up with all the news sign up to the needle exchange mailing list at bit.ly bit.ly forward slash needle exchange see you next time